wonderful to be able to bring God's word to you again uh, this week. Uh, over the past two weeks, Ian has just been talking about the vision of the church, the purpose of the church, and also um, for life groups, which will be beginning in a week or so. And today what we want to do is we want to go back to the series that we were on and have been doing through the book of Romans for the past couple of months. Uh, this is such an important book for us to understand as believers. Uh, some people have said, some theologians have said that this is one of the most important books in the Bible. And so it's vital that we as Christians understand the teachings that the Apostle Paul has written down for us in this book. Romans is Paul's longest book, uh, and not only is it his longest, but it's the most condensed book. And what I mean by that is that there is such depth, such riches, such treasures of the knowledge of God, of the gospel, of the plan of salvation contained in this book uh, that it really does um, need or necessitate us to take time to go through this book. We're in the chapter, uh, chapter 8, which is the chapter that really crowns this letter. Um, it, there's so much wonderful truths contained in this chapter. Almost every single verse is a sermon on its own. There's such depth in every statement that Paul has, has penned in this chapter. And so today we want to go back. We had started in Romans 8, but we want to go back and just pick up from where we left off. And, and so what we're going to do today is we're going to read from verses 1 through to 14. And I'm going to then focus on verses 8 to 14. That'll be the focus of today's message. I just want to say before we do get into the reading that the eighth chapter of the book of Romans is really Paul uh, revealing to us the role of the Holy Spirit, the integral role that the Holy Spirit plays in our sanctification and therefore in our salvation. We need to understand that salvation is not just a matter of God sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us, and then the Lord Jesus rising from the dead, going back to heaven, being seated at God's right hand, and waiting for us to repent, to believe the gospel, and to clean up our lives. Far from that, what has happened is God has sent His Holy Spirit, and He gives His Holy Spirit to those whom He's calling to Himself. He gives His Holy Spirit to His people, and the Holy Spirit continues the work of sanctification in our lives in preparation for our glorification. And so in this chapter, the chapter 8 of the book of Romans, we will see Paul repeatedly talking about the, the Spirit, repeatedly talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, salvation is from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. The Father planned and ordained salvation. Uh, Jesus Christ has secured and purchased it, and the Holy Spirit is the one who affects it, who applies it to our lives, who makes it a reality in our lives. And so if it wasn't for the work of the Holy Spirit, there would be no salvation for any of us. There is no salvation apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, just as there is no salvation apart from the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And just as there is no salvation apart from the Father who has ordained and provided it all. So with that in mind, let's just have a look at our passage. Let's read Romans chapter 8 and we're going to go from verses 1 to 14. And then as I said, we will focus in on verses 8 to 14 and really just dive into what Paul has 
uh, written there and try to gain some understanding, some depth of understanding of what it means to us. So let's read from verse 1. Paul writes, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so let me just point out right here as we read this first verse, the, the whole of this passage that Paul is about to write has nothing to do with condemning us as believers in Christ Jesus. He starts off this passage by saying there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so everything that's going to be written after this, we mustn't be hearing it in that kind of light. We must be hearing it in the light of what he's just written here in verse 1. He then goes on and he says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of, the, of sin and death. We see the Holy Spirit mentioned there. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. That's what's been condemned. It's not we that God is condemning, it's sin in the flesh that He's condemning. Let's carry on reading. He did this in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. May the Lord help us as we look into this passage. I want to start by just looking at verses 8 and 9. Let me read them to you again. Paul said, those who are in the flesh cannot Please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So let's just dissect these two verses quickly. We see here that Paul is talking about two distinct groups of people. So one group he talks about as being in the flesh. And the other group he talks about as being not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And do you know that these are the only two groups of people that exist on the face of this earth at this time? 
And that means that you and I fall into one of these two groups. We're either those that Paul says are in the flesh, or we're those that Paul says are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Every single human being alive on the face of the earth today falls into one of these two groups. When Paul talks here about being in the flesh or being in the spirit, we need to just make clear that he's not talking about people that are alive, in other words, in the flesh, and those that are dead and have left their bodies, and so we might say they're in the spirit. I want to point that out because some people might uh, interpret it or understand it that way. Paul's not talking about the physical state of people here. He's talking about their spiritual state. And so when he says in the flesh or in the spirit, he's talking about their state of, of being before God, their spiritual state. We also see here that it is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that separates these two groups of people. So Paul says there are those that are in the flesh, And then he says, but if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. And so we see that it is the Spirit of God or the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God in the life of somebody that moves them from being in the flesh to being in the Spirit. What makes the difference is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. He says here, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if... There's a big word there, two letters, but a very big word. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And so, only if someone has the Spirit of God dwelling in them, can they be in the Spirit. It's impossible for a human being without the Holy Spirit to be in the Spirit, to have that spiritual state of existence. Anyone that does not have the Holy Spirit is in the flesh automatically by default and there's nothing that they can do to change that situation. Only the coming of the Holy Spirit into a person, into the person's life to dwell in them, as Paul says here, can move or does move someone from being in the flesh to being in the Spirit. Now the distinction that Paul is making in this passage between those who are in the flesh and those who are in the Spirit is not just a theoretical uh, distinction. He's not just doing it for the matter of theology. There is a very practical and evidential distinction between people who are in the flesh and people who are in the Spirit. In other words, we could say this, that the coming of the Holy Spirit into our hearts and into our lives doesn't just change us in a legal sense or give us a, a theologically different position before God. It gives us a practical, very practical, and evidential distinction between those who do not have the Holy Spirit. So, as Paul says in this passage, we can see this distinction. He says, those who are in the flesh live according to the flesh. They set their minds on the things of the flesh. And they are controlled by the flesh. He says they are hostile to God in their minds. And that they cannot submit to God's law because it's impossible for them to do so. So people that are in the flesh, and we we need to just remember this, that means people who do not have the Spirit of God living in them. Paul says here, cannot submit to God's law. It's impossible for them to submit to God's law. It's impossible for them to please God. Unless the Holy Spirit lives in us, we cannot 
keep God's law and we cannot please God. That means that every human being is utterly dependent upon the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in order to be able to keep God's law and in order to be able to please Him. No one who is in the flesh can please God. Apart from the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God in our lives, mankind is a lost creature as far as God is concerned, and by very nature an object of wrath, and he cannot save himself or help himself out of that state of being. However, it's a very different situation for those who are in the Spirit, who do have the Holy Spirit living in them. They live according to the Spirit. They set their minds on the things of the Spirit. This is the evidence that the Spirit of God lives in somebody. Nobody that has the Spirit of God living in them is going to set their mind on the flesh or be controlled by the flesh or just be um, uh, moved and living according to the flesh. Those who have the Spirit of God in them have a completely different disposition about them. They live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit, and they are controlled by the Spirit. In fact, Paul puts it this way in verse 14, they are led by the Spirit. Those in the flesh are focused on the things of the flesh, those in the Spirit on the things of the Spirit. We could say this, those in the flesh are essentially focused on what they want, what I want, what I think, what's best for me, what I can do, what I have, my power, my goodness. In other words, the flesh in essence is human focused. It is human centered. It is self-centered, my opinion, and uh, so forth. Whereas those in the spirit are Christ focused. That's the difference. To them, it's all about Christ, what He wants, what He can do, what He has, His power, His goodness, and His teaching. Those that are in the Spirit, in other words, they have the Holy Spirit living in them, are not engrossed in the things that those in the flesh are engrossed in. They're not pursuing the things that those that are in the flesh are pursuing. They have a completely different perspective on life. And as a result, these two groups live in very different ways. You can see in their lives different fruit. The fruit of those that live in the flesh is very different to the fruit or that of those that live in the spirit. In fact, their lives are poles apart. Galatians 5 describes this very vividly to us. And I just want to read uh, from verse 19 to verse 23 from Galatians 5. Paul, writing to the Galatian church, says, Now the works of the flesh, notice that phrase, the works of the flesh. In other words, this is the things that those that are in the flesh produce. This is what they do. He carries on and he says they are evident. Remember, we said the distinction between those that are in the flesh and those that are in the spirit is very evidential. He says the works of the flesh are evident, and this is what they are, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, 
and things like these. So it's not a completely exhaustive list, but we get the idea. And these are the things that we see rampant in the world. This is what the world is filled with. And all of these things are the works of the flesh. They are the result of people being in the flesh, living according to the flesh, setting their minds on the things of the flesh, and being controlled by the flesh. Paul carries on in this passage and he says, I warn you as I warned you before. Now just remember, he's writing here to believers. He's not writing here to unbelievers. He's writing to the church in Galatia. He says, I, as I, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Which tells us that it's impossible for people who are living in the flesh, who are doing the works of the flesh, to inherit the kingdom of God. Something has to change. And that change is what we are talking about from Romans chapter 8. The Holy Spirit has to come and dwell in them. And only then will they be able to do what Paul is about to describe or to have the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. Paul continues here and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, notice that phrase, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. In other words, there's nothing that prohibits these things and there's nothing that condemns these things. These are the things that those who are in the Spirit will be producing in their lives. These are the things that those who live according to the Spirit and set their minds on the things of the Spirit will be producing in their lives. These are the things that those who are led by the Spirit will be producing in their lives. And do you see the contrast that we will see in people's lives between those who are in the flesh and those who are in the Spirit? And we mustn't forget, what is it that makes the difference? It's the Holy Spirit indwelling in a person. No one who does not have the Holy Spirit is going to have the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. Rather, they will have the works of the flesh. But it's those within whom the Holy Spirit dwells that the fruit of the Spirit will begin to be born in increasing measure. We also see here in these verses back in Romans chapter 8, uh, in verse 9, we see Paul make a statement here. He says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. What is he saying in this little verse here, this part of this verse? He is saying that unless the Spirit dwells in somebody, that person does not belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. This means that you cannot be in Christ without having Christ in you. You see, if we are in Christ, if we have faith in Christ, and we are in Christ, that means Christ is in us. And that means the Holy Spirit is in us. Or as he puts here, the Spirit of Christ. He's using these terms interchangeably. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, and Christ. He's using those terms interchangeably for the same thing, the, the, the Holy Spirit. So, you cannot be a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ, you cannot belong to Jesus Christ unless the Holy Spirit is in you. And if you are in Christ, 
Christ is in you. 2, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says this, If you are in the faith, Christ is in you. That's how you know. If you're in the faith, Christ is in you. If you have a genuine saving faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you have a genuine saving faith in Christ Jesus Himself, then Christ is in you and the Spirit of Christ is in you as well. Let's move on now and let's just look at the practical implications of being in the Spirit. I want to just talk about this a bit more practically because Paul moves into this as he goes on in the passage. What does having the Spirit of Christ in us mean to us practically? That's the question we're going to ask. Does it mean that there is no struggle with sin anymore in our lives? Does that what having the Spirit of God in us mean? Does the Spirit of God come in and just set us free from the struggle against sin to where we are absolutely free from any control, any influence of sin in our lives? Well, I think every one of us can answer that question. Not at all. In fact, the Christian has a struggle that the non-Christian does not have. You see, non-Christians, they can sin happily and freely because they do not have the Spirit of God in them. But the Christian's very different. No Christian, no one who has the Spirit of God living in them, can live in sin and be happy. No one who has the Spirit of God living in them can commit sin and remain happy in that sin. It's utterly impossible. That's one of the signs that can let us know whether we have the Spirit of God in us or not. Look at verse 10 here. Paul writes this. He says, if Christ is in you, if the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, the body is indeed dead because of sin, However, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Do you know that Paul is describing the current state of every one of us who belong to Christ, who are in Christ, who are in the faith. We live in a body that is dead because of sin. That's what he says here. And that means we also live in a body that still has sin in it. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 24, Paul calls it this body of death. And he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And so we see on one hand, our body is dead because of sin. But at the same time, Paul also says here, we have the life of the Spirit in us because of righteousness. Because of righteousness. And so what we see is we see death and life at work in us simultaneously. We see death at work in our bodies. We see life at work in our spirits. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes this. He says, our outward man is perishing, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And so as Christians, we have this, we sort of live in this paradoxical state of being where on one side there is death and on the other side there is life. On one side there is sin and there is righteousness. And so it leads to this conflict, this conflict within us, where we have sin present in us, but we also have righteousness present in us. We have the Holy Spirit and the life of the Spirit present in us. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, Paul puts it this way. He says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. 
and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And so what is he talking about here? He's talking about two sets of conflicting opposing desires that rage within us, that struggle within us. The desires of the flesh on one hand and the desires of the spirit on the other. And they are opposing each other constantly in our lives. And so this is the struggle. This defines the struggle that every believer has. Everyone who has the Holy Spirit living in them will be experiencing this struggle. The non-Christian, he doesn't have this. He doesn't have the struggle because he doesn't have the desires of the spirit in his life. He only has the desires of the flesh. And so his only concern is how to fulfill the desires of the flesh without getting into trouble, without having consequences for doing so. And so the the non-believer doesn't have this battle going on inside him. And that's why non-Christians, those who do not have the Spirit of God in them, those that are in the flesh, are happily sinning. There is no opposing desires. But for the Christian, for the one who does have the Spirit of God in them, this battle is going on constantly. And that struggle is going to continue until the day our bodies are redeemed. Until the day our bodies are given life. As long as these bodies are dead because of sin, we will have that struggle. As long as we are in these bodies that are dead because of sin, we will have the struggle. But as Paul says here in Romans 8 and verse 11, he says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying that there is coming a time when God is going to deal with this body of death. And he's going to deliver us from this body of death. And he's not talking about delivering us through death. In other words, through our spirit or our inner man departing from these bodies. He's talking about actually changing our bodies from the current state that they are in. This current state of death. And giving them life by the Spirit of God who dwells in us. This is a most wonderful truth. What is he talking about? He's talking about the day when our lowly mortal bodies, these bodies of death, will be changed to be like Jesus' glorious body. The day when our mortality will be swallowed up with immortality. Let's just read two passages here that Uh, where Paul talks about this and explains what he's referring to in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. The first one is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 to 23. This is what Paul writes. He says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You see that phrase? That's exactly the same phrase that he used in Romans 8, 11. Made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Let's slip down in the same chapter to verse 51, and let's read through to verse 54. We read there, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Notice he says we shall be changed. 
For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Paul said, Who will deliver me from this body of death, this body of sin, this body that has been so affected by sin? And he tells us here, it's going to be God through Christ Jesus. And he talks here about how he's going to do it. He's going to give life to this body that is dead because of sin. He's going to change it and it's going to become like Jesus's glorious body. And when this happens, there will be no more death. There will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying. And there'll be no more struggle with sin. And notice how God is going to bring this to pass. He says right here in Romans 8 verse 11, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, that's the Father, will also give life or make alive your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Do you know that the same Holy Spirit today that takes us from being in the flesh to being in the Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that sets us free from the law of sin and death, the same Holy Spirit that is bringing these desires for righteousness and for godliness in our lives is the Spirit who will also change our bodies and set them free from the control of sin. And won't that be a wonderful day? Then on that day, sin will no longer have any presence in us. There'll no longer be temptation. There'll no longer be a struggle with sin whatsoever. However, until then, this is going to be our experience. As long as we are in these mortal, death, doomed bodies, these bodies that are dead because of sin, this is the struggle we will experience. So someone may say to me, well, if having the Spirit of God in us does not remove the struggle of the flesh or the desires of the flesh, what good is it to have the Spirit of God in us? Well, much in every way. We've already been talking about it. We've already been highlighting the reasons why we have to have the Spirit of God in us. But let me just say this. It brings us to the place where we can please God. It brings us to the place where we can fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. Remember what Paul said. He said the person without the Spirit, the person who's in the flesh, cannot please God, cannot submit to God's law, cannot do what, is, what God requires of him, and therefore cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You see, having the Holy Spirit in us is this guarantee that God is totally committed to us inheriting His kingdom. Unless we have the Spirit of God living in us, we are doomed. There's no hope for us. There is no salvation for us. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit living in us, there would be no righteous desires in us. There would be no life in us. We would be enemies of God, slaves to sin, utterly unable to keep God's law, and utterly unable to please Him. That's what God has changed. That's why God has brought us into His kingdom. That's why He has justified us and given us new birth and brought us into the faith in Jesus Christ and put His Spirit 
in our hearts. And it's the coming of the Holy Spirit that enables that all to be changed. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, that's the way we would be. We would not have any hope of being able to please God. We wouldn't even, it wouldn't even be in our minds if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit living in us. Now let's have a look on at the next two verses here, because what we're going to see here is that even though the Spirit of God is in us, and, and that means we're having the struggle with sin, it means that we have to do something. And Paul brings this up in this passage. Paul gives us an application for everything that he's teaching here. He's not wanting just to give us a theoretical understanding of these things. He is teaching these things so that we can, um, we can benefit in our daily practical lives through this, through the knowledge that he's giving us. And so he says in verses 12 to 13, So then, in other words, in, in response to all of this that he's been saying, Brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's verses 12 and 13 in this passage. Let's just have a look at these two verses. First of all, Paul tells us that we are not debtors to the flesh to live according to it. In other words, we have no obligation to the flesh. We are not slaves of the flesh. We don't belong to the flesh. The flesh doesn't have any authority over our lives because of our new birth, because of our redemption, because of the fact that we have been justified and the Spirit of God has come to live in us. Because we belong to Jesus, the flesh no longer has any authority over us. We are not slaves to sin anymore. As Peter says in his first epistle, we have already spent enough time in the past gratifying the desires of the flesh. That's over for us as believers. What we used to do, where we used to live, the way that we used to live, where we were just seeking to gratify the desires of the flesh, those days have passed. We have been born again by the Spirit of God. And now we have the Holy Spirit in us. We have these new desires, this new way of thinking, this new mindset, this new perspective on life, and this new power to, to please God living in us. And that means that as a result of God's grace, we are debtors now to none other than Jesus Christ who purchased us with His blood on the cross. And that means that we are obligated now not to do what the flesh wants, not to fulfill the desires of the flesh, but to do what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do and to fulfill the desires of the Spirit. We've been set free from slavery to sin, as we saw in Romans chapter 6, and we have been enslaved to God. And this means we are not to live according to the flesh. That part of us that opposes the Spirit of God and all righteousness and that is actually a slave to sin. That part of us that is a slave to sin, we are not to live according to it. Only those on the path to destruction live that way. What must we do? Paul tells us here, we must put the deeds of the body to death. We must put them to death. And what are the deeds of the body? They're the very things that we read about in Galatians chapter 5 and, and, and verse 19 onwards, where it talks there about sexual immorality, etc. All those things that Paul listed there are the deeds of the body. 
And we are to put those to death. They are the fleshly deeds of the body. And how are we to put them to death? We're to put them to death by the Spirit. Now notice here, I want to point this out, right here in verse 12 and 13. Paul addresses these two verses to, the, to people that he calls brothers. And he gives them a very dire warning. And so this is a warning to people who would call themselves Christians, people who belong to the church, people that would say that they are followers of Christ. Listen to his warning here. He says in this warning that if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And notice how personal Paul gets here. He doesn't just say those that live according to the flesh will die. He says, brothers, we are debtors, but not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. It's the same that he was saying to the Galatians where he said, I've warned you and I warn you again that those that live this way will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so this is a very dire warning that Paul is giving us here in this passage. But then he says this, but if you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And obviously he's not talking here about physical life or physical death because we're all going to die unless the Lord comes before that time. What he's talking about here is eternal death and eternal life. So he says, if we live according to the flesh, we will die, we will perish. But if we live according to the Spirit, and by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body, we will live eternally. You see, God's grace is not a license to indulge the flesh and live like the world, uh, like we used to live before we were saved. If we call ourselves a believer, but we live according to the flesh, we will die. To live according to the flesh as a believer goes against the very purpose of God's sending Jesus Christ into this world, the very purpose of the cross, and the very purpose of the Holy Spirit coming into our lives. It negates that whole purpose. It opposes that whole purpose if we live according to the flesh. We are debtors. Debtors to put the deeds of the body to death. This is the position that God's grace has brought us into. So how are we to do this? How are we to put the deeds of the body to death? Paul tells us here. He says we are to do so by the Spirit. What does he mean? Well, let's just look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, and we'll see what he means. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Notice what he says there. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In verse 14 in Romans 8, the passage that we read, he said, being led by the Spirit. Here he talks about it being as, as walking by the Spirit. There he talks about it as being led by the Spirit. And so what is he talking about? He's talking about putting to death the deeds of the body by following the desires produced in us by the Spirit of God instead of following the desires that are being produced in our bodies, in our flesh, the sinful desires. And by allowing ourselves to be trained in righteousness by the Spirit who lives in us through the Word of God. This is what he's talking about. And you know that there is an aspect of growth to this, which is very important for us to appreciate. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is an ongoing work in us. And it's not something that 
is happening apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in us. None of us are being sanctified apart from the Spirit of God. That's why in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul says, God is at work in us. This is the wonderful truth that Paul is trying to bring through to us in this passage. That God has not just got, taken the Lord Jesus back into heaven, seated Him in His right hand and said, get on with it. Get on with cleaning up your life. Get on with purifying yourself. No, He's given us the Holy Spirit to work in us and to help us. And so Paul says, God is at work in us. And he says he's at work in us to will and to act according to God's good pleasure. This is a partnership. God is working with us, enabling us to put to death the deeds of the body so that we will live eternally in His presence, so that we will inherit the kingdom of God. So the Spirit of God coming in us is God ensuring that we are able to be glorified in His presence as He's purposed for us. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 12 to 13, Paul says that God's grace is training us, training us to deny ungodliness and worldly passions and to live sensible, honest and godly lives in this present age as we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. And so what we see here. The tenses that are used both in Philippians 2.13 and in Titus chapter 2 verse 12 to 13 is the, the present ongoing tense. He says God is at work in us. It's an ongoing thing. He says God is training us to deny ungodliness and worldly passions. It's an ongoing thing. And so we have, as believers in Christ who have the Holy Spirit living in us, we have the ongoing, continual work of the Spirit of God, moment by moment, day by day, bringing us to the place where God wants us to be, sanctifying us, setting us apart, making us holy unto God. And this is the work of the Spirit that Paul is talking about here throughout this chapter. What a wonderful truth this is. There's growth in it, I said. And I just want to point this out because often when uh, someone has just come into the faith, uh, that the work of the Holy Spirit begins in them. It's already there. The Holy Spirit's already working in them. But there's also a place where we have to grow in our knowledge of God. We have to grow in the knowledge of God's Word in order for us to really work with the Holy Spirit more and more fully. In other words, we could say this, to walk by the Spirit more and more fully, or to be led by the Spirit more and more fully. Let me just read Hebrews chapter 5 and verses 13 to 14. It says here, For everyone who lives on milk, that's referring to the Word of God, that is just the, the, the basic teachings of Christ, is unskilled in the Word of righteousness. Notice that, the Word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So Paul, or the writer to the Hebrews here, is talking about the need for people to grow in their knowledge of God's Word in order for them to cooperate more fully with the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And this is why we have the Bible. And this is why we have Bible teachers. This is why we have the apostles having penned down these words for us. It's so that we can grow in the knowledge of God's Word, the knowledge of the truth. And as we do so, what will happen is we will find ourselves being changed and transformed 
by the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to bring about this transformation in our lives. And it's as this transformation takes place, the sanctification is taking place, that we become more and more adept to walking in the Spirit and to being led by the Spirit. You see, victory over sin does not come through some miraculous event. And so many people are looking for this. They're looking for God to just wave a magic wand over them and all their problems with maybe sinful things that they're struggling with, habits that they're struggling to overcome. Uh, They just sort of think, if God can just wave that wand over me, it will all go. It will all dissipate. Other people go around looking for someone who can deliver them from maybe some sort of spirit of lust or some sort of spirit of sin of some kind in order for them to no longer have the struggle. That's not the way God works. God does not set us free from sin by just uh, someone laying their hands on us, by uh, someone trying to cast a demon out of us. That's not the way it works. The struggle against sin is something we face every day. But as we grow in the knowledge of God and as the Holy Spirit is, uh, has more in us to be able to work with, in other words, more of His Word in our hearts, we will find victory coming. Today, I want to ask you, whether you are being led by the Spirit of God. As Paul says in verse 14, For as many as are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. That means that if we're not being led by the Spirit of God, we're not the sons of God. It also means, though, that if we are being led by the Spirit of God, that gives us assurance that we are the sons of God. It's proof that we're the sons of God if we're being led by the Spirit of God. How can we know that we're being led by the Spirit of God? Well, I have been mentioning it and and sort of pointing to it throughout this, this, um, this message. But let me just highlight it for you. Let me just bring it out in a very clear way here. And let me ask you, do you have a desire to know and understand the Scripture in truth? Because if you do, if you have that desire within you, that is the leading of the Spirit of God. And it's a sign that you are a son of God. Are you no longer attracted to the kind of life that you used to live? You no longer have any attraction to that kind of life. Do you realize that's because you have been led by the Spirit of God away from that kind of life? Do you find yourself wanting to walk away from sins you formerly used to commit, and yet you didn't even used to worry about it before when you used to commit them, but now you want to walk away from them? That's the leading of the Spirit of God in your life. Are you aware of a struggle against sin in your life? Do you realize that that is proof of the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life? Because if it wasn't for the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life, you wouldn't have that struggle with sin. There would be no struggle. Do you find yourself being convicted of your sin? If you find yourself being convicted of your sin and wanting to go to God and confess it and make right and get that that sort of guilt and that, that, that bad feeling inside you that sin produces, if you find that, that is evidence that you are being led by the Spirit of God. Because people that do not have the Spirit of God do not feel that way about sin. They're enjoying it. They like it. They boast about it. You see, what we need to do is yield more and more to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Just follow His leading. And if we're being led by the Spirit, you know what we'll be doing? We will be putting to death the deeds of the body, and the fruit of the Spirit will be growing in increasing measure in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. 
We'll find ourselves being changed. We'll find ourselves being transformed. And we'll find ourselves moving steadfastly away from the ways of the world. We will find the ways of the world will become more and more foreign to us, more and more dislikable to us. And uh, that is evidence that God is changing us. That is evidence of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in us. It's evidence that you are being led by the Spirit of God and that you are a son of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these incredible truths. Thank you for the assurance that we gain from knowing that we are being led by the Spirit of God, that we gain from knowing that the Holy Spirit lives in us, that we are your sons. Thank you, Father, that through the the words that you inspired your apostle Paul to write, we have been instructed today. We have gained understanding. Thank you, Father, that you are helping us to live a victorious Christian life, one that overcomes the struggle in the struggle with sin or against sin. One, Father, that is empowered by the Holy Spirit against sin. Thank you for the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit who has rescued us and delivered us from the dominion of darkness, who has brought us into the kingdom of your Son. Thank you for the wonderful work of your Spirit, Father, that has given us new birth into a living hope. Thank you for the wonderful work of the Spirit of God who is sanctifying us, working in us to will and to act according to your good pleasure, training us to deny and renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live righteous and godly and sober, sensible lives in this world, in this current time, as we wait for the changing of our bodies when Jesus comes. Thank you, Father, for this. Thank you, Lord, for the assurance that we gain from the passage that we've read today. Thank you, Lord, that we can see that we are being led by the Spirit of God. Thank you, Father, we can see your work in our lives. We can see the change that you've already wrought in us. Thank you, Father, that you will not leave us or forsake us, that you're going to continue this work right to the very day of Christ Jesus, when it will be completed and consummated in its fullness. Thank you, Father, for the assurance that we have of our salvation simply because of the fact that the Holy Spirit is in us and, Lord, He is leading us and our lives are being changed from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. Thank you for this, we pray. Thank you, Father. We magnify your name. Amen. Well, it's been wonderful to bring God's Word to you and I I pray that this Word will encourage you, encourage you deeply and uh, also convict and challenge you to do what Paul said in verses 12 and 13. God bless you. Uh, Continue to walk in the Lord and be led by the Spirit of God. Amen.